Hey, welcome to Beyond. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And be sure to hit like and subscribe so the algorithm can find the show and the content. Um, I'd like to welcome back Burke Brown. Good to be back, man. I'm always loving this. How was your Memorial Day? Man, chill. The sun was out, so we went out a little bit, walked to the park, kicked it with uh, some people, and kept it kind of light. But uh, the food, I will tell you, was good. Had some barbecue, so I'm stoked. Yeah, you know, I was looking at the, the headlines across the nation, and boy, it's like people had cabin fever to the nth degree. They all came out this weekend, right, and right, they right. went bloody nuts. I mean, they're out in mass. Forget all the uh, the guidelines and social distancing. Right, right, it's right. just like we're together, we're masked together. It's like they were so excited. They were just trapped in their house forever, and they kind of got that glimmer of hope and light. Yeah, humans just want to be together. It's natural to us. Like our community means so much. And actually, I mean, they've actually done uh, research with with geriatric geriatrics, and they found out that people that are not around people have a lower likelihood of living an old to an old age. It's being around people is one of the most important things, and it's a fundamental necessity for human beings. But we don't ever think of it as a need, like we ever think of oxygen as a need, because we've never been deprived of it so much. No, that's true. That's very, very, very true. And uh, I think people need people. And uh, of course, when you're in, you're trapped in your homes and you realize the quality of your relationships and some of those could be stressors. That's one of the things we want to talk about in the Roadmaps to Resilience. We want to talk about managing stress. And I think with COVID-19 and uh, the loss of jobs or the loss of financial means or security, um, I think managing stress is probably at, at the tip of everybody's tongue and certainly at the top of mind. Right. And you know, when you think about historically, if you think about fish in the ocean, right? Um, they're hyper aware of their environment. They're hyper aware of, of predators because that's the nature of the, of the life in the, under the sea. It's eat or be eaten, right? Um, but the, the interesting thing about fish is the force or, or the, the life force that surrounds them. The very thing that keeps them alive, water, they're completely unaware of, right? And I think stress is similar in human beings' lives, right? There's a lot of things we're hyper aware of. We're aware of our, our, our bosses, the challenging relationships, the finances, things that stress us out, things that make us angry at some level. Um, but I think at some level, we, we can sort of understand stress. But the idea of being aware, like a fish is of water, I think is apropos because a lot of times we're not aware of what stress is doing to us and the decisions we're making as a result of yeah. it, right? And I think, you know, as I think about life, I think there's, in my life, there's two key pillars that I have always reflected on that's really important. It's really being busy and productive. I know over the last few weeks, we've talked about that. The idea of, you know, in sheltering place, you better be productive. You better have a game plan and keep your, keep your schedule because that sort of helps keep standing. The other part was that I've always reflected on is stress is actually a good thing. Too much of it will kill you for sure. And right. many of you said this before, but when you think about a diamond, right, it starts off with a, as a lump of coal and under intense pressure that's just constantly provided or muscles, right, they get bigger. Or in the case of a diamond or in the case of coal, it becomes a diamond. So I, I do think that stress um, can be can be positive, right? Right. But I think the paradox in this pandemic we're going through, right, is that before the pandemic, our lives were just stuffed to the brim, right? We were super busy. And as a result, everything that adds up to our life then created a lot of stress. Now, the paradox is they said shelter in place, um, binge on Netflix, do nothing. And that created a different kind of stress. Right. That's equally as stressful as pre pre-COVID, if you will. Um, and so I think that's a, a really interesting paradox that sort of people are adjusting and going through. Right. And I'm curious, you know, if the, for those in the audience that are listening, um, some questions I'd ask as we get into this really important Q&A with, with Burke, are you experiencing exhaustion, fatigue, and weariness, either directly um, or, or, or from the circumstances? The second one is, how has stress impacted your mood, your diet, your sleep, your quality of life? Mm. And of course, lastly, how do you think you'd be happier uh, if you're less stressed, right? And, and I know you know this in your studies, Burke, but 
We know that stress can weaken the immune system, can create obesity, cancer, premature death. I remember reading in Japan where these businessmen in the 30s are just dropping dead because they don't sleep, they work, and then going to late hours of night, you know, entertaining their, their clients. Um, so we know it's really, it's really, it's really real. So as a job has moved to the home environment, Burke, here's a question for you. And there is an overlap between the job and the personal, right? How do we be mindful in balancing this? Cause I think it's really uber difficult right. to separate those two and recognize like the fish in the water that we're floating in the sea of stress seen and unseen. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the thing is stress doesn't have a title, right? It's, it's the wind. It's something that just kind of drips on us. And we can't say that I have stress specifically from work and work alone. And I have stress from the house or this situation is causing me to blow up. The truth is it's this drip method that slowly builds over time. And so the thing that causes you to explode or be overwhelmed or sense the stress may not be the specific stressor. It could be these things that are happening over time. And so what I want people to think of is stress as a mechanism right? As opposed to a thing that causes stress. If you see it as a mechanism, then you can become aware of when the mechanism is triggered. The problem is people say, this thing is causing me stress. My work, my boss, my kid, my husband, whatever it is, this shelter at home. The truth is our response to it, our mechanism to that stressor is what causes us true stress. And so a lot of times when we step back and say, okay, I feel stressed about this situation. I want to blame it on this. The truth is I feel stressed about this situation. Why? That's it. You start off with just asking, why do I feel stressed? Well, because this person's breathing down my neck. Okay, got it. This person's breathing down your neck. But how did you feel before that? Was there anything else that was causing that stress? My kids, they're, they're, they're making all this noise while I'm trying to do a Zoom call, right? So you start to put together all these pieces and all it is is it's just you're not meeting your needs on a consistent basis and so it's building up to the point of trigger and so what I train people first to do is ask why am I stressed and what are the the indicators or the trigger points or the red flags that have brought me to this point and what does it mean what do I have to do in order to recenter myself to bring myself back down to calm it's not specific issues it's our mechanism that's the most important so asking why is so so incredibly crucial that's really good, you know, and, and I think it goes back to what you said in the previous uh, couple podcasts ago where the idea of being mindful, the idea of meditation, the idea of eating healthy, working out, and that balance and, and that mental balance, if you will, and the mental health you feel from those right. exercises, because otherwise things just stack up. But here's another stress that I think we can all identify with, is, which is the stress of FOMO or fear of missing out, right? We pack our days to the brim. I would even argue in these COVID times, it, it may be meaningless tasks to keep our sanity, but we certainly, we certainly pack our days to the brim um, with this whole FOMO virus. So how can we be thoughtful in dealing with this idea, man, I don't want to miss out and I got to max every second of every day because that, that really yields a lot of stress, I'd argue. Absolutely. You know, FOMO is our society's, this modern generation's uh, biggest issue because we're constantly thinking what we should be doing or what we're missing out on. All it is is discontentment with the moment. You're not happy with the way things are. You're, you're looking at the situation and you're wishing you were somewhere else. We're doing something else or we're doing more. All that FOMO really screams to you. If we kind of just make it black and white, it's saying you're doing it wrong. That's all it is. You're not where you should be. It's the shadow of what you think should be happening. And people don't understand that FOMO has weight to it. It has some gravitas. It pulls you down. 
Because when you're thinking that I should be where I'm not, then you're not present. And if you're not present, how are you going to deal with any tasks at hand? It's impossible. You have to understand that the issue of FOMO is the same issue as I should be. You're shooting on yourself. And that's one of the things I talk about with my clients very often is that more important than um, trying to think positive is to not shoot on yourself. Because when you're shooting on yourself saying that what is now shouldn't be, you're carrying the weight of the moment and you're carrying the thought of how the moment's not right. And that makes you less efficient. That makes you less productive. That makes you less happy on a consistent basis. So to let go of that shadow of where you could be, should be, what you should be doing or what you're missing out on, centering. I am here and there's nothing I can do about that. And now that I've accepted that, oh, the shoulds have fallen off. Now what do I do? Yeah. No, those are great points because I think the idea of wanting to be all things, all people, and I got to hit in every bucket to be successful and do all these things. I would argue that success is really about focus and execution. And like you said, if I have one foot in the past, one foot in the future, um, or in the present, I think I got to do 20 different things to either please people or be attracted by people. Um, Like you said, I love that. I'm shooting all over myself, right? Literally in the moment, in the present, I'm shooting all over the place because I'm not really focused, right? I'm, I'm just like a haphazard sort of being. Um, sort of tossed to and fro. So I think, I think that's really, really important. But, you know, another thing I think that really hampers and affects our happiness is really the expectations we have of ourselves to be attractive, financially mm-hmm. free, fit, smart, socially successful, right? right? And perhaps seen as a guru or leader. How do these things and these expectations we have on ourselves, and this is probably part of the FOMO, Tell us. Bit, um, how does that interfere with our happiness? This is... Um... This is one of the biggest things, and it does tie into the FOMO. It does tie into the stress. It ties into expectations. A good friend of mine, he always says, you can only be disappointed by your expectations. What you expect is what causes disappointment or contentment. Most people expect too much and so get disappointed often. Uh, there's something in, in, in research terms called the ought self, and it kind of goes back to the shooting on yourself. The ought self is who we ought to be, healthier, right, better looking, more fit, making more money, The family should be at this area. Your kids should be this way. I should, all we're thinking about is the ought, what ought to be. The problem is when you are looking at your ought self, it is a perfect resume of a person that doesn't exist. While you, the real person, has to deal with the shadow and the condemnation from this ought self. What I say often when I'm working with people is I say, can you describe this person for me? This this ought self, what do they look like? They're clean. They're healthy. They're wearing great clothes. Okay, perfect. What does their body? What's their body look like? If it's a guy, chest is big, abs tight. Girl, she's tall, slender, whatever it is. And I say, okay, make them a little taller. For the guy, make the chest a little bigger. Tell me when it's done. And the guy thinks about it, and it happens. I'm like, wow, his chest just got bigger. What else? How much money is he making? This much. Make him make a hundred thousand dollars more. Tell me when he has. He has. And I say, how much effort did it take for him to become that? You're like, I just had to think about it. You just had to think about it because he's an illusion. This person has never dealt with gravity, doesn't know what emotions feel like. It doesn't know how to experience the challenges of life. This illusion has never experienced the real world and somehow it has the right to tell you how to live. When you realize that your ought self is just a figment of your imagination, you finally can stop respecting it because it's done nothing worthy of respect. And once you have that freedom, it can shrink to its small size and then you can be the ought self. You can do the work. 
So it can never condemn you for anything that you've done because it's never done it. And when people realize, when they have that switch, that this thing that has always been condemning them is just a spark of imagination, then they gain the freedom to not be should on by this thing, which allows them to create their true odd self in the place that they are. Yeah, that's really powerful. It makes me think that I think a lot of us live in a dream state, right? We dream of, of the ideal. We dream of the beautiful right. house or the infinity pool or the million dollar Bentley or Bugatti or whatever, right? We have this dream world we construct. Maybe it's part is because we don't like the life we have. And yet it's this dream world, whether it be the perfect mate or the perfect circumstance. I mean, you go on TikTok and it's funny because you can sort of see the evolution of people where good looking guys and girls are out there prancing around, right? And then you, you go to the 30-somethings who've been through a divorce, right? You sort of see the whole life cycle of mm -hmm. choices. Um, what are the priorities? What are the expectations? Right. And where they manifest? And I think this, you know, just like we said last week, I, I would argue that power is, is illusionary. It's certainly temporary. Um, yeah. It's certainly like kneeling jelly to a tree, right? And I think a lot of our wants and desires are built off of marketing, right? They, they want a certain outcome. The marketeers do. Yeah. Uh, and how we should look in life and what should we value and what things we should go after. And I think these are high stressors to people. I mean, big time stressors, the idea that we want something that's elusive or we put weight or value on a certain lifestyle or a certain, certain look or, you know, the ability to travel, whatever that de is defined by. The reality is for most people, they'll never get there. And so they're really unrealistic expectations at some level, right? Where they're, they're going after this thing because it gets them out of the reality to some degree and they'll, they'll never get there. Yeah. You have to mitigate your hope. I think people that are living in impoverished nations, I've, I've done volunteer work and I've seen people that are extremely, extremely happy, right? We live in a capitalistic society and so consumerism is king, right? And so we gotta make you consume. The only way that I can make you hungry is by telling you that you're not eating enough or the only way to make you consume is to tell you that you're not enough without this product. That's, that's, it's, it's the nature of it. Psychologically, our job as marketers, advertisers, what are we trying to do? We have to make you feel inadequate. Naturally, we already feel inadequate. So what we're doing is we're putting freaking you know, nitrous in that engine. We're helping it spin at a, at a faster rate so that people really, really don't feel adequate. And so that ability, and then you have Instagram that you're scrolling through lifestyle, people traveling the world, scrolling through people you know, on their jet planes, most of these people first are making it up, right? And the ones that do have been willing to sacrifice things that you may not be willing to sacrifice. The problem oftentimes is our expectations, just like we said. And that's why meditation is so important. That's why stopping to ask why and mindfulness is so important. That's why this quarantine is so important because people have spent less money and have found themselves like, wow, I really didn't need to spend as much as I used to. In this quarantine, I'm not going out to eat as much as I used to. I don't need to do as much as I thought that I needed to do to be happy. And when people start to realize more and more that the purchase power doesn't equal your power or self-worth, that having to live a lifestyle that somebody else have is what makes you happy. When you start to find out what makes you happy, then you free yourself from those expectations. That's why as often as possible, if I ever, if I'm scrolling and I feel something, because I'll be on Instagram, I, I, there's things that I like. I love seeing these travel videos and lifestyle stuff. But if there's ever a hinge of envy, that's when I'm in the danger zone. I cancel that. My goal is just to take in the beauty of these images. Maybe I'll see it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll have a jet. Maybe I won't. But I love my life right now. That gratitude, that ability to be centered is what gives us superpowers and frees us from the pain of expectations. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really powerful and and certainly has to be considered. I mean, people have to be thoughtful and mindful. And, you know, it's interesting. I was reflecting the other day. Um, I was talking to my fiance and she was on a Facebook post and people had a very strident position on people that are going out and not doing social distancing or the fact they're even going out at all. Um, there's some people have a viewpoint they should be sheltered in place for the next you know, year or so, right? People really believe that. Mm-hmm. And when you hear the arguments that people are making, what it, what it caused me to react to was whether a person is intentional or not, or it, it, you know, they're being thoughtful or uh, it really matters to them. Uh, nine times out of 10, when you see those arguments, they're not rooted in facts. They're rooted in opinion. They're, they're rooted in a worldview that we came across that supports our worldview and we share it with the rest of the world. But mm-hmm. the idea that an opinion or position um, is so critical because where I'm going with this in this thread, it got really vitriolic. It got really mm-hmm. intense. And I'm thinking, why? You have an opinion. That's it. And just like a lifestyle or wanting something that somebody else has, ultimately it's an opinion we tell ourselves of what's important. Right. And, right. and the point being is that we should go back and really take the statistical or the scientific method where we really study that issue and look at it from 360 degrees and look at every viewpoint and look at what's been the research and study on both sides of that issue. Mm-hmm. Then you can come up with a more rationally based argument as to why you believe what you believe or don't. Same thing's true of, of the material world we live in. And you're absolutely right. It's clickbait for marketers that are trying to make you feel inadequate, less than. So therefore, if you have the car, you have the girl, you have the beautiful house, what then, right? I saw this thing on Elvis Presley yesterday. They are talking about his cause of death, which they initially said it was a heart attack, but it turns out that obviously it was a drug overdose. I think he was on 11 or 12 different depressors to the cardiac system and, and certainly mm-hmm. the neural system. And you say to yourself, here's Elvis Presley, the most famous person on the planet, and he can't sleep. Now, you could say there's a lot of reasons you can't sleep, but I'd argue in that man's life at some level, there was a lack of peace. There was a lack of peace. And you say, here's a guy that in the 70s had it all. And where'd that take when you could just you know, think of any number of rock stars oh, that have been in that gosh, same absolutely. pathway, right? And so we know that it's not the material thing. It's really about how we think about things and what value we ascribe to things right. that, in my experience, gives you the biggest stress. If you say, you know what? At the end of the day, if you understand that a billionaire, Bill Gates, he's dead, how much is he worth? It's called zero, right? A big fat donor. How much is he taking with him? It's not like he has a U-Haul right. but following him in his grave and he's taking all his you know, <laughs> yeah. possessions. Yeah. It, it mean, and, and so this is why I said power is, illus- is sort of a, a illusory thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not what we think it is. And it's not really what we should put our, our value in. Now, if God has gifted you with certain talents, right. Then, then go express it. I mean, that's your purpose here on earth is go live your abilities and your talents. Assuming that what controls our CPU and our brain is fact-based and logic-based. And that's where I think we have the opportunity, whether it's through yeah. stress or how we see the world, which really drives a lot of our stress, uh, to be more quality. Man, you know, and there's, there's kind of two parts in that that I, that I want to kind of dig through. The first is the, the interesting thing about humans is we are uh, – smart enough to think that we're intelligent. That's, that's one of the dangerous things about us. We are irrational beings. We are moved by our hind brains, no matter how rational we want to be. Um, when you purchase something, they say the mind, the way the mind purchases, if it's emotionally attached to the thing, then it will rationalize why it should get it. It's not the specs that we care about. It's not the, uh, the, the, the cool tools and trinkets that it has. It's the fact that we want it that our rational mind comes in and says, let's rationalize why this is a good purchase. 
right? This is the, the, I think Simon Sinek talks about the why. It's not so much the how and the what that we really are buying. We're buying the why, but we explain it with the how and the what. That's what justifies that. So when I, when I look at facts, right, facts are, they're so illusory as well, because so many times we can look at anything. You've seen it where you've seen research and they just spin it this way and then they spin it that way, right? What I try to do is I want to go to this place where I'm like, okay, we are all irrational. Okay. We're all irrational trying to be rational. If I can create that common denominator, then I can accept everybody. When I can accept everybody, I can see, okay, it makes sense where you're coming. If I was in your ecosystem, I would think the way that you're thinking. I'm not in your ecosystem, so I think a little bit different. And you justifiably can think that way. The word that you said that was so powerful was the vitriol. That's where the problems occur. When we try to put our belief upon another person or they, they try to put their belief upon us, right? When that happens, that's when the two ecosystems collide. Right. And so what we have to do is if we can get to a place where ecosystems can exist in communication, then you reduce stress. Right. The problem is that people have an ecosystem and they demand others to fit into their ecosystem. And that's where the issues lie, because anybody can pull facts from any point. And even though some things make logical, like if we were to say on a conglomerate level, like, OK, it makes more sense. Like we can't do this. That's just how can you live a life if you're locked in your room all, all the time? But maybe there's some concessions that can be made. So really what it's about, it's about to reduce stress in these type of environments is to realize, okay, we all are kind of irrational. We rationalize certain things. We have different ecosystems and different, just like you said, opinions. But if I try to lay your opinion, if you try to lay your opinion on me or I try to lay my opinion on you, that's where the vitriol can come. If we can learn to communicate, then we empower people. That's like, that's one of the things that I always am, am letting people know and talking about because what it does is it reduces the, the thoughts uh, that cause the vitriol and it frees an opportunity for, for that ecosystems to, to combine or at least meet each other respectfully, right? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of a quote we all know, right? People, the people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And they got to know at a level that you, are, you, you care and you're concerned and you're thoughtful about their perspective. That doesn't mean you have to accept that perspective or their viewpoint, right. but you, know, you recognize them as a human being. They have innate worth and they're just like us. And so it's really letting people know that your position matters to me. I may not agree with it. I may not even understand where you're coming from. Right. That, that's okay. But it's all about respect because, again, I look at these, these arguments and debates, uh, whether it be on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, yeah. um, one can or the other, and they're going to show that person, put them in their place like you're going to change anybody with that <laughs> approach. You never will. You won't. You're just going to harden your position. And, and if you really want to be a leader, it's about influence. And the way you influence people is you let them know, hey, I'm going to put my arm around your shoulder and look the same way you're looking and see the same view that you see and try to understand why you see the world that way. It could have been from abuse. It could be from a whole number of issues, but that's where leadership starts is being the servant. It's understanding, seeking to understand before being understood in, in a quality way, trying to understand that perspective. And then yeah. hopefully you get to a level in that relationship where you're open to be able to share your thoughts and ideas and beliefs with that's the idea that, Hey, maybe they, Maybe they changed it a little bit. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. They may have a fact you haven't considered. And again, there's a great, that's um, okay. There's a great story, man. Uh, it's so simple. It's just this, this cloud and the sun come together and they see this kid. And the cloud goes up to the sun. He goes, hey, I bet I can get that kid to take off his jacket. And the sun's like, okay. So the cloud goes down and starts blowing, blowing on the kid. And the harder the cloud blows, the tighter he holds his jacket. The kid just squeezes jacket the harder he blows the tighter 
Finally, the cloud is coughing, out of breath, goes back up to the sun and goes, there's no way that kid's taking off that jacket. The sun goes, let me try. So he just draws himself close and warms him and warms him. And as time goes by, the kid takes off his jacket on his own accord. This is the approach that's supposed to be happening. We're all coming from the blow. We're all just trying to blow our truth onto people, thinking that they're going to totally just get it. Like, boom, all of a sudden, my jacket's blasted off and I'm good. But the truth is, just like you said, you come around, you put your arm and you go, hey, you're experiencing fear, it seems like. Hey, you're experiencing frustration, it seems like. Can you guide me on this? Can I understand you better? And then once they've diffused their truth, then you can say, may I share my truth? And then they can listen because they don't feel that you're a threat. The job of leaders, like you're saying, is to be the sun. You have to reduce the stress of the people who are thinking differently so that they don't feel that they're fighting for their lives. Once they don't feel like they're fighting for lives, then they're able to engage in conversation. This is freedom, and this is the direction that we've got to move. Yeah, no, that's really powerful, Burke. And I think the thing about stress is it creates that we talked about last week, anger. It creates a fog in the mind. When you're stressed, you see how people go from stress to instantly triggered from an anger standpoint. Yep. They can't think straight. They're not operating at the highest level. And again, and this is to minimize. You see what's happening with police brutality or people that don't respond to police or people that end up in prisons or people that you know, commit murder or do things. At some levels, they were triggered, right? They reacted. They didn't respond. And as a result, the consequences are just otherworldly. I mean, I've seen so many um, interviews of people in prison that look back and the choices they made, and obviously they're saying, you know, assuming, again, this is a big assumption, um, their mental faculties are intact. Right, assuming right. That's in place. They recognize at some level that that choice I made, that decision I made in the heat of battle and whatever was really not, <laughs> it didn't really serve the long term, right? <laughs> so right. let's talk a little about what stress is, right? Now, from a textbook perspective, it is an involuntary physical, um, physiological response to a stressor. And I would argue that. Um, it's something we get. It's not something we control necessarily. And we all know that stressors could include health, um, family conflicts, work, um, bosses, deadlines, pressures to achieve. We talked about FOMO, um, relationships, to name a few. What happens, or talk to us a little bit about what happens to us physiologically uh, when we're under stress. You know, it's perfect. There's stress and there's stressor, right? And I think people think that they're all kind of convoluted and they're all the same, right? So, in essence, we can control our levels of stress. Stressors are difficult to control, right? So if I feel stressed by, uh, you know, somebody who cuts me off on the road, immediately I feel stress. But then if I start to dwell on that person and how awful that person is, then I'm in stress, right? I'm creating more stress as I'm creating a narrative around an action. So the action is the action. We can't control that. Our stress response, we can't control, right? But what we do afterwards, we're able to control. And so our parasympathetic or our sympathetic nervous systems, there's two different types of nervous systems. Our sympathetic nervous system is our fight or flight, right? All of a sudden something goes on, that's a stressor, cortisol levels go up so you can move quick. All of a sudden you can hear clearly, your brain is sending all the, the, uh, the blood to your body so that you can move, your stomach turns off, you're not in a relaxed state. Your parasympathetic is the relaxed. That's when you've finished eating and you got the itis, you're just chilling. But your sympathetic system is when all of a sudden you're in the fight or flight mode. Natural, animals have it. That's how they survive out in the wild. What's uncommon is the dwelling. And most often what happens is people are feeling sickness, not because their sympathetic nervous system has been enacted, but because they have been keeping it enacted. 
by constantly dwelling on the thoughts. And that's really what the issue is. If you can understand that feeling stress is okay, but then staying in a stressful place, that's where it deteriorates the body. They say worry rots the bones. Cortisol levels, when you have that, that puts you in a space where all of a sudden it's actually weakening your immune system. It's putting you in a space where you are feeling unhealthy, where you are more likely to get sick, right? You have this COVID-19 that's out there. If you're not exercising, you're not eating, if you're in high stress, obviously the likelihood of it really getting in you and your immune system not being able to fight it off well. Much higher, much higher. Absolutely. Yeah. So understanding the difference between the stressor and the feeling of stress and then maintaining that stress. We live in a society now where now we don't have to worry about a lion chasing us. So the stupidest thing, somebody says something on a post, triggers us, our stress hormone goes through the roof and we're stuck in that space. And the time that it takes to get back to that equilibrium is so much longer. And that's where it's deteriorating on the body. Yeah, it's, it's the difference between feeding or feeling it and feeding it, right? I'm, if I'm feeding it, that's a problem. And you know what you just said about like posts and people get triggered. It's almost like that reaction to a post is them saying, my life's out of control. My opinion doesn't matter. And so I'm going to gain back some of the control I feel like I've lost today. And I'm going to put this person in their place. And it reminds me, if you think about gangbangers, you know, in, in, wherever they may be, uh, we all know that when somebody puts a gun to your head, in those parts of the world, they have ultimate control. They instantly have your attention. I would say you can take the most famous person on this planet and you know a bad guy puts a gun to their head, they instantly have all their attention in spades, right? And right. again, that to me is a, re is a response in the environment of, I don't have control, I don't have certainty, and so I'm gonna get control. I'm gonna get your attention, right? And I think that's kind of what happens online, not as dramatic as a gun to your head, but it's certainly what happens online when people react to things and want to put that person in their place because again what does that do if you're trying to influence an opinion or yeah. perspective there's a lot more quality ways of doing it and it, it requires some some thoughtfulness and yeah. um some higher level thinking perhaps um a process right because you're not going to just change opinions overnight yeah, um, but certainly you can in a quality way say hey you know what i understand what you're saying i felt the same way but here's what i found right i found that as i you know understood that issue I discovered some more material and I thought I'd share it with you. It's, it's not offensive. It's just, here's, here's something to think about, right? Yeah. The illusion, the illusion, uh, we, we don't have anything to fight for. Humans, we need challenges. Why do we watch movies all the time? Why, do, why is Marvel just so huge at the box office? Because we need a villain. We need something to stand up to. And we're living in this society where we've been completely domesticated, right? All of a sudden, we're just like just chilling. I got to get a good job. I got to have the white pickets fence. Like we've lost the battle, right? We're, we're, we're just normalized. So now we need something to fight for. People are finding anything to fight for. Harambe, like there's an issue with this animal that's been killed. I get it. I understand. I'm not trying to say that it's evil, but I'm saying that what happens if that amount of energy and vitriol is coming towards that? What about, okay, what about what's going on in your society? Like right next door? Is there anybody that you can help? Can we fight for something that's not online? My anger doesn't push the, 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 the needle forward in any way, type, way or shape or form. Me typing with intensity, even though it gives me that release and that sense of control, and it's not me trying to regain control over that person. It's me trying to regain control over my life, right? right. So we're at a space now where we're fighting battles that are not our own. And we're fighting for something that has no true effect on us. The question is, what are you doing in your life right now? What in your, your household, what in your neighborhood, in your community are you truly fighting for? And when I say fighting for, not fighting to beat down the bad guy, but to lift up the sick, to help up. 
If I'm trying to spend my time beating down, that's me just trying to imagine getting out of a pool. That's me pushing down to get out, to get up. So if I have to push down to get up and it's not for a cause that I live and die for, then what's my intention is different. But if I lift up someone, if I have to reach down to lift up, then I'm moving in a space where I'm actually helping build my, my other type of system. And this is, this is the vagus nerve. This right. is the nerve where compassion and love and thoughtfulness and empathy and mindfulness comes from. That's a whole different part of your body. And it's those feelings you get when you watch, like you see a soldier come back and surprise his child, that emotion. When I'm on Instagram, I'm finding all these things that give me that emotion because that emotion is medicine for my stress. Right. I win because I'm focusing on what gives me love, light, peace, excitement, adventure, fear with excitement, which is challenge, right? It puts me in a space where I am fighting for something and not against something. I'm not against war, I'm for peace. Yeah, right? I want to go back to what you said, and it really resonates, and it kind of goes back to where hunter-gatherers, we, we, had, we had to worry about lions, and, and, and we would hunt-gather, and we would move around, and we were a lot more active, and it feels like our physiology is not caught up with our times, right? We're always in fight or flight mode. You talked about this. We know that pronouns or prolonged periods of stress can mm -hmm. lead to burning, right? When you look at responses in the home to little minor altercations, it's just a sign that we're burning out. Again, the FOMO, we're, we're filling our lives to the brim or whatever we, we, we you know, add to our lives to make it worthwhile. So talk to us a little bit about the impact of prolonged negative stress um, right. that has not been dealt with in our lives. Because I would argue a lot of people have prolonged stress that's just being fed getting bigger, getting bigger. I mean, I see these just insane headlines, even as of today, of uh, just despicable acts of one person to another. And you say, how does somebody get there? So it seems to me that we're in this fight or flight all the time. Yeah, like we said, it's a drip method. Stress, frustration, these are drip methods. It's a spectrum, it's a process. When I get triggered on something, I don't say this is what it was, that's why I was triggered. I understand that there is a slew of things that may be involved. When you understand that there are things that happen before the tipping point, then you're free to not believe that that person's the problem, that situation is the problem. Unfortunately, people are having this buildup and then they get to the point where they just react on one person and, that's be and that person has to suffer the brunt of it. Now, let's say it was that person that's been bothering you over time. The thing you have to understand is that stress and that frustration, that anger is built off of you not dealing with it. If you do not have tools to deal with your emotions, if you do not have tools to deal with your stress, then it must build. It doesn't disappear. Just because you're not thinking about it does not mean it's gone. So what you have to do is create a process to de-stress right? To ask yourself kind of two things. There's distress and there's eustress. Distress is the disease. It's the negative stress that increases the cortisol, makes you where you can't think clearly, you react. Eustress is that healthy. That's the diamond that's being under pressure, right? The coal turns to the diamond, the fire purifies the gold. Eustress is, okay, I'm in a position where I'm stressing because I'm growing myself. But if you're feeling distressed, you have to stop and say, what are ways that I can release? For me, writing. When I write, I put my thoughts in order. For me, meditating. When I'm meditating, I stop thinking, right? When I'm grateful, I start thinking about what's good. What I'm doing is I'm combating this energy that's trying to grow into a ball and I'm giving it ventilation. I'm letting it breathe out because when it breathes out, you reset. And the thing that's cool about that is as time goes by, it's not about just not being angry, but as time goes by, you default to peace. When you default to peace, you no longer care about other people. 
when you can allow yourself to not be affected by circumstances of people, that's freedom. One of my favorite quotes, I always say this, the man who has nothing to prove proves everything already. If I don't have to prove to you not to talk to me, or that, if I don't have to prove to you that I'm worthy, if I don't have to prove to you all these different things, I don't have to prove that this person who posted this is wrong. If I don't have to prove anything, then I've proved everything because I'm me. And then it's game over. Then you get to play. Yeah. And that's where the freedom comes. That's where you only get you stress versus the distress. Well, that's really important. And I think, I think of those, uh, you, you see on YouTube uh, videos where they take the Menos and they put it into a Coca-Cola bottle. They try to put as many as they can in and they close the lid. What happens, right? And it's the same idea that stress builds up like a Mentos in our liquid, right? right? It's like putting in our body and the pressure builds, builds, builds. It's going to go somewhere. It can either right. go quality way or non-quality way. And we can all describe a lot of non-quality ways that people deal with, with stress and pressure. And it's funny. I see these videos of these otherwise rational people within a second going from zero to crazy. Like in right, 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 right. <laughs> you're like, and yeah. what it is, obviously, we've talked about that. But I, but I think that's an interesting analogy. Or I remember growing up and um, we'd, the car would overheat. We'd try to open up the, uh, the radiator. Boy, was it under a lot of pressure, especially right. when it's heat or hot, right? You don't want to open it and get burned with the scalding uh, fluid inside, but it's the same thing. You got to relieve the pressure. You got to do something differently. And just like, just like things in nature, things will tell you when it's not right, when they're out of, out of sorts. Right. So like you're flying a plane and you've, ex you've extended the angle of attack on, on based on the airspeed you have, the wing will lose lift or, or start to lose lift and then come back down to try to get an increase right. amount of airspeed over the wing. So nature has a way of telling you when you're out of whack and out of balance. And again, I think it's like the fish in the water. It stress is sort of like that in that we're not aware of how it's creeping up and building up. And that's why also we blow to the person we love the most in our lives, or we blow at our boss or, or pick, pick, pick the you know, per person or, or issue. And, and the idea of trying to manage this in a quality way is so critical, not only to our own health, but certainly to our excess. So being able to deal with stress is certainly important. I think there's a lot of things we can do to manage stress. And it usually starts with a cognitive problem, right? It's, it starts in our mind and you've talked about this, but you have to take the right mental approach. So talk to us about the importance of taking care of your physical body and what, what it can do for our minds. Because I think if we don't take care of our yeah. mental health, and to me, it's always started with working out. And, and by doing that, you release some of the pressure, right? Right. But it also sets you know, the, the, the chemicals of your mind totally different. So talk to us a little bit about how taking care of our physical body can really influence our mind and our ability to deal with stress. Yeah, man. I mean, just exercise alone. And we'll just kind of start with just being physically active. That keeps your brain, there's actually a part of your brain that lights up when you're walking, right? And it actually helps with reducing Alzheimer's. When, you, when you're sending blood throughout your whole body, your body is doing what it was meant to do. My, if I was supposed to just sit and think, then I'd be ahead, right? But I have hands to reach for things. I have feet to walk that can also run. So we are meant to be doings, human doings in, in a lot of ways. We as humans do. But as spirits, we be, right? And so the more that you understand that using the body as a physical active component, it all of a sudden reduces your cortisol levels. It allows you to think from your frontal cortex more increased. It keeps the blood flow in the front of your brain. It allows you to just be at more peace, just in, in general. And the funny thing is you mentioned too, you mentioned chemicals. That's a physical thing. So even meditation, as weird as it sounds, is physical affirmations, as weird as it sounds, is physical. Because if you repeat an affirmation with belief, and I have a whole process for how you can make yourself really believe what you're saying, as opposed to just saying, I think I can. When you do, it actually changes your brain matter, the physicality of your brain. It's a brain exercise. The white matter changes, shifts. It can actually grow, and new neural nets are created. 
that creates new ways of thinking. It affects your mind. Your mind affects itself by what you do. And affirmations, physical activity, meditation, all of these, I consider them to be physical because they're affecting your physiology. Right. Right. And right. that's where the power is at. You know, when I'm, I have this whole bulletproof uh, morning uh, ebook that I put out and the book just talks about like, just, I love that you use the example of the engine, but I say, okay, action is the spark. That's the spark plug. But if you don't have gasoline, it doesn't mean anything. So what I do first is we put in the motor oil. That's your meditation, right? That's your gratitude. That's you setting your intention. Then the fuel, that's you getting clear on what it is that you want to do, your purpose, your passion. That's your confidence and your ability to make change. Then when the action sparks, that's when you get internal combustion. That's when you can make massive action. But you have to understand that you have to start off physically taking care of yourself, mentally taking care of yourself, so that when the action spark lights, you light. Yeah, that's good, man. Hey, and so the other thing that sort of strikes me is what, that we got to be mindful of when, when we're dealing with stress is, is sort of the canary in the coal mine, and that's social media, right? Right. And the idea of being intentional with social media, I, I like in social media, we have a, we have a thing in our pocket called, called the cell phone, right? And it's sort of like a slot machine in Vegas. And you're right. just pulling that dial. You're just pulling that dial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just getting stimulated constantly, right? And I remember my fiance was telling me, she told some of her friends about TikTok and they called her back saying, I just wasted two hours, right? Doing nothing. It's right. the addiction, right? So talk to us a little bit about um, becoming more mindful about social media as a trigger to our stress. Right. I, the research has been done, man. We know for a fact that people who are on social media are less happy. Just, just is what it is. Because what you're doing is looking at people. Back in the day when famous people were stars or millionaires or billionaires existed, it was lifestyle of the rich and famous. It was like six or eight people that you knew that lived a certain life, right? It wasn't your neighbor. It wasn't your friend down the street. It wasn't your cousin. So what happens is you're like, that's them there. So I'm not going to try to even try to go for that. So I'm going to be happy with my lot. But then all of a sudden, you have Instagram, which is totally democratized everything in terms of lifestyle, fashion, living, flying jets, having money, having the beautiful wives. Like all this stuff has become present and available in our minds. Most of the people are making it up. We're aware of that. They're exaggerating and embellishing their lives, but they want it to be seen that way. So what happens is you create this vortex of inadequacy. I mean, massive inadequacy. There is no way that you cannot scroll through it and find yourself comparing yourself. It takes a lot of mental fortitude until you know yourself and know what you're looking for, choosing what to follow that builds you up as opposed to takes your power. And at the same time, even those influencers are comparing themselves to other influencers. The likes are absolute, there's an addiction to that. It's just like a, a rat, they had this thing where it was, it was uh, they would see how often a rat would uh, lick, I think it was heroin out of a uh, water dispenser. Mm -hmm. and would it go until it died? And the thing would kill itself. Right. And so what happens is when we get ourselves locked into this space, we're coupled with two things. One is we're not happy with our lives now. We want to escape the moment. Plus we want to go to, so we can go to this place. So we go to this place to escape the moment, but that moment makes us more unhappy with our lives. We create a beautiful cycle. It's a snake that eats its tail over and over and over again. So in order for people to gain freedom from the, the effects of social media is to limit the social media to get social with social media, not to be a propaganda machine for who you are and your brand only. Now I get it if you have a business, but if you're just a person who has a job and all, you trying to inform the world how great your life is pushes further the idea that you don't have a great life because you're having to prove it 
and the person who has something to prove proves nothing. Right. That's right? very, very true. Very, very true. So talk to us a little bit about the importance of scheduling time where you do absolutely nothing. And I think in our lives, even under quarantine, people always feel like they have to be busy because boy, any downtime, any, any quiet time, maybe the past catches up. Maybe they have to deal with some hard issues. So, so talk to us about how important it is to schedule time to do absolutely nothing. This is, this is, (laughs) people are going to skip this one because the reason we are on social media, the reason we're watching television and binging on Netflix is because we don't want to be here. That's why being present is so hard. That's why meditation is so hard. That's why sitting and thinking is so hard because you have to face. And that's, this is, it's a very scary thing to face. It's a very scary thing. And what I say is it's not about facing and falling into the darkness, but just kind of facing into, you know what? I'm not really happy right now. If people can become okay with their emotions and say, it's just a feeling. If you can become okay with not being okay, then you'll finally get to okay. But if you're not okay with not being okay, then you're never going to be okay. You're constantly going to be seeking something that makes you feel okay because you're not thinking about how not okay you are. Now that may not need to be rewound and reset again. But what I'm saying ultimately is that in order for you to have fullness of happiness, contentment and peace is to accept all parts of you, even the boring parts of your life. And to say, "Mm, I feel boredom. This sucks. I don't like it. I'm going to sit in it. I think it was Seneca who was talking about like for one week out of the year, dress in the, in the worst clothes, eat the worst food and live the most like meager life. And every time that you think about wanting to be the other place, go, is this the thing that I feared? Is this what I was so scared of being poor? Is this what I was so terrified of being bored? Is this what I was so terrified of, thinking about my life and what I want to do with it? I've made mistakes up to this point, and it makes me feel awful. No, there's a quote that I say, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. Right. You have now. You're not dead. You can do something. And it doesn't have to be that. It can just be that. Because this is more happiness. And so allowing people to pause, just sit, and whatever comes up, as it comes, just be like, you're allowed. You're allowed. And I've done that myself where I didn't feel sadness, but I knew there was sadness in me. And I literally had to speak to myself and I had to say, I will not stop any of you from coming up. And guess what happens? A tear. Yeah. I got to cry. Being able to cry, even if you don't know why you're crying is a release. It frees you and brings you closer to yourself. And so empowering yourself to pause, to stop. And if you're afraid of the silence, then journal and journal and journal and slowly you'll be okay with it. With my clients in the middle of our program, we have to teach them to be okay with being uncomfortable because they always wanna be positive. They wanna be their own cheerleader. I'm like, can you quiet the cheerleader down for a second? I just need you to feel uncomfortable. And then once you're okay with it, then you are okay with your full self. Eckhart Tolle said this amazing quote. He said, perfect peace is being at peace without your version of peace. That's Mm -hmm. when you have it not when you're claiming or chasing it. It's being okay with the present moment. That's when you have absolute peace. Yeah, I think, I think uh, to me, peace is also about having no expectations. That's where I've gotten my biggest peace where right. I can have a lot of agendas and goals and dreams, but I have no, I, I'm not tied any expectations to the outcome. You do your right. best, you, you work long hours, you do what you know you need, you know what you need to do, but it's not like I'm tying an outcome to that, right? Because right. um, we know a lot of times success is luck, Success is genetics. It's funny. I, I see 
again, you know, whether it's an athlete like Michael Jordan, he's alien. And, you know, God said, here's your gift, man. There it is. And then you can look at super ultra beautiful people that have the perfect physique and you say, that's a gift. What's always been funny is these people that have been gifted in such a way that walk around like peacocks acting as if they did something. They did nothing. Right. And maybe they have maintained the physique and they've been a good steward of, of, of the physique and I would give them massive credit for that. But the reality is they didn't do anything to, to earn what they look like, right? That, yeah. That's a gift. And if we can keep things in context about what we have and why we have it, and, and if we can begin with the end in mind of like, hey, someday we're going to be dead, right? And if we, if we look back at our lives and what it's supposed to be and what really mattered in life, if we can start with that perspective, that's really helpful and healthy. Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of the stress we have is expectations we're putting onto a situation or an emotion or feelings. And again, I go back and I've said this many times on this show, who says what you think is reality or that it means what you think it means? You know, who, who thinks that the death of a loved one is what you think it means. Mm -hmm. It could be the greatest thing in the future for not only your life, but the lives of, of people at touch. I mean, right. it's just hard to put in context and having lost both my parents, I can say with great confidence that I can look back now and have context as to why they're no longer here and mm -hmm. how it's been a benefit and a blessing. Right. And what it did for my life. So it's not that you don't acknowledge sadness or emotions is that you have the ability to put it in context. That's really nine tenths of the battle. Like I lose my job. Is that the end of the world? Or is it the beginning of a new beginning, right? Remember Beethoven at 96 penned his greatest works. People say, well, you know, I'm 40 or 50 and there, there's age discrimination in, in jobs in the marketplace or whatever goes on in their head. And you say, well, wait a minute. Who says it's not the beginning of some new venture, a new opportunity to express your talents? And so yeah. I think that we, we give things emotions that aren't real and including in our, our, our times where we're supposed to be quiet and we can't, we're not comfortable there because maybe we're not comfortable with ourselves and that, that really speaks to that's probably why you should be silent because if you can start to uncork why it is the way you feel the way you feel if i go to see someone like burke or a, a therapist or whatever i may have more quality time with that person because i've done some work yeah hey, you know burke i noticed that in my quiet time i think about this and it's related to this time and and look, we can start to unpack that and uncork that and what that means and so I, I think that not only is it a de-stressor because we're talking about stress, right. but I, I love quiet time. I like going out in the patio and just listening to the birds, looking at nature. Because, you know, a lot of times we don't look at the vibrancy of nature around us in this amazing place called Earth. We're focused on things that just don't matter, like how many likes we got or whatever goes on. It's, it's so interesting. The, the, the power of, of pausing is massive. And I love that you said, you know, working with a coach, because I think working with a coach, counselor, therapist, or really expert friend, uh, it helps. It helps guide that process. If you can't do that, the journaling really helps guide that process because you can at least control it. You can control how it moves and how it goes. With a coach, they can draw it out and then carry you and hold you in those times. These are definitely important things. And I love that you said that, you know, talent is – we all have talents. We just have to have the right perspective, right? right. The, the ability, even rich, like wealthy people. I know people that are extremely wealthy. And when I tell them, I'm like, you have a great talent. In their mind, they think that, you know, it's, it's easy to believe that money is, is a power or it's this thing that I earn that's so much more talented than, but I know my skill set. What I, if I, if I was to quantify into money, me, I'm a multi-billionaire. Like there's no question. I understand that my talent shows up in energy versus through fiscal, you know, through, through money, right? I transmute it also into money by doing my work. 
But even this conversation, there's, there is positive energy. There is a currency that is traveling between the two of us in this conversation that is really powerful, you know? And so the more that we kind of understand that we have these talents, right, and that we're worthy and flip our perspective, the more that we realize that everything that happens, even the bad stuff, has just like you said, shifts our perspectives, then all of a sudden we're not afraid of feeling sad or feeling unsure or feeling, you know, this really sucks. That becomes okay because you know that it may be a narrative for something greater, right? You know, it's a feeling we may have, but it's not a feeling I need to own. I can just observe it. It's exactly oh, it. That affects me this way. That's interesting. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's interesting. Does it define me? No, it's just an emotion. It's a feeling, but it's interesting. What does it mean? I don't know. Let's see what it means tomorrow or three days from now. Because I guarantee you, three days from now, it's going to be different. So that's why like that. emotion or a feeling. It's like, well, it's 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 ephemeral. I don't know. It just sort of comes and goes. And I love it. It's kind that of interesting. That should be a clip right there, man. Just so you know, that little piece right there. Because if I if I let's say that I had somebody who had a negative thought, I would take that little clip and I'd say, I want you to repeat those exact same words. Just a thought. It's over there. Oh, that's what I mean, it looks that's like. all it is, right? And if we give if we give credence and value to those thoughts, that's where there's an opportunity to look at that. To me, I don't give credence or thought or value to anything. It's just like it's just things that are floating around interesting. I'll park it there and let's see, does it grow in the next couple of days? Am I feeding it? If not, yeah. all right, well, you know. Absolutely, man. We'll, we'll look at that later. Now we it, it doesn't change the present. And look, we've all heard this that fear, false evidence, appearing real. Half the stuff we have anxiety and we worry about never comes to fruition. It never materializes. It never manifests necessarily. And, and you would think that that would be a good cue and sign based on our experience in life to say, yeah. well, maybe I shouldn't do that. But I think there's some currency. Remember you talked about tuning in that frequency. I really yeah. believe that people like that frequency. They like the stress and anxiety for whatever reason, but it, does, it, it benefits them in some way. Absolutely. Because you can talk to a lot of people who are saying, you know, equivalent, I just put my hand in the stove and I've been burning it for the last three days. And you'd say, is everything about removing your hand? Well, of course not. Well, why not? Well, because my hand's in the stove and it's burning and I want you to react to my, my emotion, my frustration, my anger. <laughs> it's like, well, just move your hand from the stove. Yeah, but if I move my hand from the, the burner, then I won't get your reaction. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but in it's essence, real. There, there's some reality to that, that idea, that concept that what we're doing to ourselves is almost by design, design and, and things that we hold on to that stress us out. Again, just like power, it's elusive, it's illusionary. Is it really real? I mean, you know, what is conscious mind? We can go have a, probably a three hour podcast on that. What is a conscious mind? What does that really mean? And if we're spending most of our time out of reality, what is reality, right? If we spend most of our time on drugs and alcohol and distracting things like the internet or social media, what is our reality? Hmm. Right. And now I have an opinion on reality. That's not really reality. It's on reality. And I'm going to start going to fisticuffs verbally on a social media stage or platform um, on a on realistic viewpoint. I mean, think about it. If we're not in reality yep. and we're in on reality most of the time and now we're taking a viewpoint. Right. It, it's not congruent. It's so the opportunity, <laughs> get into reality. Get with what is, you know, and then start building your construct as to what it should be. It's this is this unreality is exactly where most of us are living 100 percent. they say when a person starts taking drugs that's the emotional age they stop at whatever age they start is the emotional maturity that they have so i don't care if they start at 15 when they're 30 they're 15 years old emotionally because yeah. you stop you stunt your growth when you're living in that unreality when that becomes your reality 
you are that age in terms of emotional maturity. It's the same thing because it is a drug. We are getting, we're getting a hit off of it. Being a victim is actually very rewarding. You don't have to do anything and you get to complain about everything. It's the best, it's the best of both worlds, except the cost, which is your life. And so what happens is if you live in this unreality your whole life, the funny thing is, is that you don't live your life. You're not living life. All you're doing is living a script, a, a story that is not your own existence. And so you cannot even experience what true life feels like. All you can see is through the lens of the story of how you think the world works. Right. That to me is death. That is death. You know, I think it was, was it... A man lives, a, a man dies a thousand times before his death. I think it was Caesar, Julius Caesar by Shakespeare. You know, it says that a man, a coward, dies a thousand times before his actual death. Right. But that, that mindset of understanding that if I can just get into reality, and even though it's not comfortable and I don't like the way it feels and I have to deal with some things, I'll get a coach, I'll journal, I'll figure it out. But what happens is after that process, that incubation process, it's like nine months. You're almost like a rebirth. When you come out, everything you touch can become gold because it's the real world. Yeah, I'd say you know, if, you can get out, if you can get out of unreality into reality, there is no bigger endorphin, adrenaline, drug effect than living in the real world and experiencing yourself in a real place, in a real world you know, experience where you're able, you're a functioning person who can make clear-headed choices and you're not living this unreality sort of experience. And I'd also argue that when you think about you know, people not only live in unreality, but they live vicariously through other people. Imagine if you could just live vicariously through you. Like, you remember mm -hmm. that uh, Dos Equis commercial, the most interesting man on the planet? Yeah. Right? Why was that so successful? Because he was living life on his terms, just like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, right? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? I'm the master and commander of my life. I decide what inputs come in, what affects me, what doesn't affect me, and how, you know, my role plays out in the universe. And so I would say that if people can get to that level, there is no better, more passionate, more powerful place to be, right? Because you are living your purpose-filled life real time in a real way versus, you know, vicariously through another person or versus through chemical dependency or under the haze and cloud of drugs, anger, and the rest of it, right? So I think, you know, when I think about stress, I think we really have two choices to make, right? Um, you can either manage the stress you're going through or stress will manage you. Mm. That that's simply, simply comes right. down to that. And, and stress can be, um, you know, fomented by a lot of different things, right? And we've talked about it in this session today, but I think it really comes down to you either manage it or it, ma it manages you. And that really comes, uh, goes right to the center of what's going to make you happy. Absolutely. You know, it's the way that I see it is you have kind of two things to help you become less stressful. And this is something, uh, this will be a great topic too for another time. But you have obviously the tools to manage stress right? What that does is that loosens the grip of stress. And then you have purpose. And when you can loosen stress and strengthen purpose, that's when the change happens. That's when the magic happens. And so really, that's why when I do my work, it's about weakening one thing and strengthening another. It's even the physicality. If somebody has a, like a protracted shoulder girdle, they're always sitting like this from being on the computer. This muscle, their pecs are too tight. Their rhomboids are too loose. Their lats are too loose. So what happens is the tightness becomes very easy. But if I start to stretch this and tighten this, so we do stretches on your chest and rows, all of a sudden it becomes easier to maintain proper posture. Same thing. If I can weaken, right, 
if I can weaken your stress by teaching you to manage it, meditation tools, and then increase your purpose, game over. That's where the power is because you have to learn the tools to de-stress yourself and then learn the tools to find what your passion is. Because then when other stressors come up unexpectedly, your purpose is so clear that I don't have time to deal with that. Like I'm not scrolling through Instagram. I'm like, I'm trying to build my own. Oh, you think, what about staying in or going out? Like, I'm trying to build my own. I'm trying to do as for me and my family, this is what we're going to do. And that clarity, that purpose, coupled with the ability to manage the stress, unstoppable. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it kind of reminds me at the top where we talked about the fish in the water and their life force, the very water they float in, they swim in. They're not, they're unaware of it. And I think the same mm-hmm. stress, and I think we can certainly uh, change the way we relate to stress ultimately. So Burke, what a great topic, great session. Uh, a lot of insights you provided today. I uh, really appreciate it. Back at you, man. This is always good. I'm loving it. All right, man. Till next time. Sounds good.